Welcome to the University of California, San Francisco Sports Medicine Podcast, featuring Dr. Nira Fundia, Dr. Brian Feely, and Dr. Drew Lansdowne, discussing hot topics in sports medicine and society. We hope you enjoy our podcast and look forward to hearing from you. Um, hi, everyone. Um, welcome to our next episode of our podcast, Six to Eight Weeks. Uh, this is Drew Lansdowne, uh, Sports Medicine at UCSF. Um, I'm joined today by Dr. Brian Feely. Uh, Dr. Narab Pandya is um, unfortunately unable to join us today, uh, but we have us with us today uh, special guest, Dr. Rhonda Watkins. Uh, she's originally from Trinidad and Tobago, um, went to UCLA for undergraduate, St. George's for med school, and um, she's now a member of our uh, faculty in uh, treating pediatric and adolescent sports medicine. And, um, you know, I think perhaps even uh, more interesting is um, her background as an athlete herself, which we'll be discussing more today. So. Um, Rhonda, thanks so much for uh, joining us today. And um, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and um, how you chose this career in uh, pediatric and adolescent sports medicine? Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Um, so I grew up in Trinidad, which is a small Caribbean island. Um, my mom was a NICU nurse, so my sister and I grew up around the hospital. So I think something about working at hospitals always intrigued me. Um, but my desire to do sports medicine specifically was born out of really my uh, sporting experiences. So I started doing track at a pretty young age, I guess around 12 or so. And I had a lot of injuries and that led me to sports medicine doctors. I think I was fascinated by one particular doctor that was also an athlete and just the way he approached my care um, it just felt like he could relate to me. And I was just, I felt like, you know, one day I could give that to, to some young athlete based on my own experiences in sport. So I, I guess I approached my career in sports medicine was more directed based on my desire to invoke some injury prevention and some personal touch, I think, to the provision of care to athletes. Did you know early on that you wanted to do sports medicine or did you go into medical school with an open mind with five or six other things you were thinking of? Yeah, no, I went to medical school to do sports medicine. Um, I had toyed with like public health before medical school while I did track professionally. Uh, and I thought maybe I wouldn't go, but I really, really had a desire to work with athletes um, in, the, in the medical arena. So when I went to medical school, I made the decision to leave track and to go to medical school. It was to do sports medicine. Now in med school, I did, did toy a little with some other uh, considerations like neurology, but ultimately sports was the way for me. And that was clear to me throughout the whole um, course. Rhonda, um, could you tell us more too about um, your experience competing in the Olympics as an athlete? That must just be such an unbelievable experience. Yeah, so the Olympics was great. So it was like for me, a, a combination of, you know, years and years of training. And I always tell this story, like when I share sort of my journey, when I was nine, I think, I was watching like the 2006 Olympics not 2006, sorry, 96 Olympics with my family in Trinidad. And Atta Bolden, which is our um, star sprinter from Trinidad, was running the 100 meter final. And he, we were all like glued to the TV, really wanted him to win. 
and he ran the race and he came third and everybody was so disappointed like all my family members i mean all we were all so happy that he had medals but you know i looked at their faces and i was like don't worry guys i'll win gold one day for trinidad and you know it was sort of like something i just said because at that time i had you know i wasn't really driven particularly by the goal of going to the olympics but it was something that you know i i sort of spoke into being at such a young age so to finally make it was incredible it was a little bittersweet for me because i was hurt that year so i felt like i couldn't really you know give my best and you know the olympics comes every four years so it's quite defeating when you end up there but you can't really perform as well as you you hope to but i always say i got the best olympics because i felt like china did such a good job with the facilities and the venues so uh, track was at the bird's nest. It looks like a bird's nest. Swimming was like at the ice cube. So all of it was just, it was really majestic. And I think the night where, when I competed, the stands were full. You look up all around, there were people and the, they were all silent for you to, to jump. It was just like such a surreal feeling. And then the Olympic Village, you, you're walking around, you see people like Kobe, rest in peace, LeBron. It was just, it was great. That, that sounds amazing. Um, when did you, I, gosh, that really sounds like it undersells that. I think we're just jealous that you had that experience. Um, you know, Drew almost made an Olympic event one time. Yeah, uh, that was really, really close. He, yeah, he's it's an undisclosed <laughs> event still. Um, when did you realize that you could potentially compete at the international level? How old were you at, that you, when you realized you really are better than pretty much everybody else in the world? And what events did you specialize in? Uh, okay, so when I started track, I started like as a sprinter, but I went to a high school that had a coach that really focused on field events. So that was sort of my introduction to jumping. So I started with high jump and long jump. And I actually went to the Olympics for long jump, but high jump was actually the event that I started with. And I think it became clear to me that maybe I could do this when my coach started showing me like the, the standards. So I don't know if you're familiar for like World Youth and World Junior Games, but put on by the IAAF, you have to make a qualifying standard to, to compete essentially, regardless of what country you're from. Um, and that uh, standard is based on like age group. So he started showing me, I think when I was around maybe 13 or 14, uh, the standards to enter these games. And I was not that far off and I had only been jumping maybe for like a year or so. So that's when I realized, oh, maybe I could do this. Um, it was really just looking at that number and seeing how close I was to that already with, with very little training. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. I felt that way about Dungeons and Dragons around age 10, where I really, I think I was a level seven mage and I thought I could make it, but other stuff got in the way. Um, <laughs> how, you know, I'm guessing that you, when you excelled in track, you probably were excelling in school at the same time. How did you balance being excellent in academics and training all the time? And do you think things have changed now for youth athletes? Yeah, so I think for me, which was probably was not, you know, the best thing for my sport at the time was uh, I never really let go of um, my desire to do well in academics. So and that was hard, especially at UCLA, because um, it's a school that demands academic excellence as well as athletic excellence. And at the height of my career, which was really in, at UCLA, 
it was hard to, to, to not lose sight of the fact that I always wanted to do stuff outside of, of sport and track. Um, so for me, the things that, that, that really helped me was one, never losing sight of the fact that I wanted to go to med school. So that meant, you know, trying to volunteer, even though I had practice, you know, every day of the week or I had a meet coming up on the weekend. Uh, I was big on like setting schedules and I didn't really sleep. You can ask my roommate, <laughs> she would be asleep and I would be up at night, you know, working hard on, on something for school, um, you know, even though I had practice early in the morning. So I think it was just, I just never really let go of the fact that both were important to me. I think now for athletes, it is definitely hard because I feel like they have, you know, immense pressure from a younger age to excel. And, you know, when you're in high school, you're not really sure how to balance things well, you know? I think maybe if you had someone that went before you, you know, showing you that this is how you prioritize, but that's something I think you learn maybe later on in high school and even throughout college. So it certainly is, is something that is difficult, particularly difficult now, I think. Yeah. Rhonda, how old were you when you um, really started to specialize and focus on track and field exclusively? Um, so I didn't, so I started jumping in high school and by my first or second year, I was competing regionally because we have like regional meets in the Caribbean. I was doing well there. And, you know, I was still doing other things. I was doing like, a little volleyball. I had like you know, music and things like that. And I never really like gave my all to track and people were saying, you know, well, do you really want to do this or not? And, you know, for me, it was, it was hard initially to like really focus on, on track. So I didn't actually start doing that until like later high school years. So I was probably maybe um, like 15, 16 around there when I was like, okay, this, this is what I'm going to do. And, um, you know, in sports medicine, we always talk about, um, like, kids specializing too early and, you know, overuse injuries. And what do you tell your patients now about, um, you know, like, really focusing in on one sport versus, you know, doing multiple activities like it sounds like you did growing up? Yeah. So, I mean, from a personal experience, I try to tell people, you know, I didn't really focus on, you know, one event even because I started off as a high jumper, for example, and I went to the Olympics for a long jump um until later on and you know it's not impossible to do well at an elite level despite not specializing at a young age so i try really to give my patients perspective i think that's so important in sports because they have pressures from their parents or from school from coaches and you know they're they're unclear as to how all of this is going to pan out right because they're all they can see is this next meet or event but the reality is, you know, your life as an athlete is a series of, of events. And the key for success really is being able to execute at the time that really matters. Uh, so I think gathering skills across multiple sports is really important. And that's going to be what prepares you the most for um, an elite stage, I think. When I look at my teammates at UCLA, for example, a lot of them weren't specializing in track in high school. They had done multiple sports. Some of them were still doing multiple sports even in college at the division one level. So it's certainly not a necessity, I think, to excel. And I try to always remind people of that. 
based on my personal experience. And then as a physician, we know that, you know, kids that specialize early tend to burn out more, um, have more injuries. So I think there are, there's a lot of ammunition to try to convince them that, you know, it's, it's good to participate in multiple sports and events. You, you mentioned that you had an injury that kept you from um, competing at your best in the Olympics. Um, can you describe that injury or some of the other injuries that you had competing in track? Yeah, so um, I had a host of injuries across multiple joints. Um, I guess the first main thing that I had was knee pain. So I, initially when I started at UCLA, they thought I had um, a meniscus injury. I had like repeated swelling. My imaging seemed to be consistent with that. So I actually had a knee arthroscopy my freshman year. So I redshirted um, the indoor season and then I came back for outdoor. And that's, you know, not the way you want to start a college career. Um, but I was, you know, able to, to rehab and get back on there and have a pretty good sophomore year. Uh, so that was like the start of my injuries sort of in college. Then I had a series of ankle sprains um a syndesmotic ankle injury and then chronic like hamstring tendonitis or tendinopathy probably um yeah i won't ask who did your um knee scope at um ucla because hopefully it wasn't the same <laughs> as mine um you know one thing that nirav wanted to ask and i think it's really important um you know, do you think that there's a discrepancy in how male and female athletes are promoted or celebrated? And what do you think we can do to change that if you think anything could be changed? Yeah, I think if you look across uh, sport, current and past, there is an obvious discrepancy, not only in how uh, female athletes are celebrated compared to, to males, but how they're compensated. You know, they, they're paid less, they get less airtime, they, they have less support and, and let, they're less popular um, and tend to have less of an audience or less of a following. I think it's unfortunate, um, but a lot of it stems from just historical, I think, gen gender prejudice. <laughs> Uh, that sort of persisted uh, into this current time. And I, I think it's been perpetuated um, by how female athletes are portrayed in the media compared to males. So if you look at like an NBA game, you see a lot more hype, a lot more spaz, a lot more cuts and angles compared to what you get when you look at a WNBA game, for example. So I think, you know, there's a lot that can be done. And I think there are, there are a host of female athletes that are sort of champion, championing, you know, run like a girl and, and, you know, female, the future is female and all these, these campaigns. So I think starting there, because it, it really is changing our mindset, mindset around how we, we um, sort of view female athletes. I tend, I think, History tells us we need to view them as less, but I think it's not that female athletes are less, it's that, you know, we can do sport or um, participate in a way that's different from males, and we just need to find a way to, to celebrate that. I think campaigns, media campaigns, and, and more airtime and sponsorship is a big part of how we improve that going forward. So every time the Olympics come up, 
we love track and field. I think it's probably that and, well, because it's my household, swimming and gymnastics are the things that we watch the most. How come we don't see track and field all the time? I mean, it seems like it's, it's great. It's great for kids with short attention spans. The events go quickly. Um, why is it only popular every four years? Uh, I think that goes into also media. So, you know, sports like NFL, NBA, baseball, softball, all those sports get more media attention than track. And track, I think, is well marketed and well portrayed around Olympic time. It, it tends to to bring good viewership because they show, you know, short, exciting clips and there's a lot more fanfare around it every four years than there is throughout the year. But I think that's, you know, if you look at how sport is, track in particular, is um, portrayed in Europe, it, when I used to compete in Europe, for example, it was on, tra a track meet was on every station. It, you, you couldn't, you didn't have to go far to find it. So I think a lot of it, again, goes back to how we're bringing these sports, sports like track, which, are, which is less popular, less celebrated, they make less money to the viewers and how we're doing it. So if you look at track meets recently, they're trying to do, they're trying to introduce like the relay team, for example, in a more uh, spazzy way. So they're doing poses, they're, um, you know, doing bright lights and all these things that you see in other sports. So I think it's how it's marketed outside in non-Olympic years. Yeah, I'm sold. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I love it. I'm biased, obviously, <laughs> but I think at least for the relays, but if you even look at the jumps as a jumper, I think you can promote that in, a, in an exciting way, you know? It's, it's all about what you choose to bring to the viewer. Yeah, definitely. And Rhonda, um, probably last question, but uh, what do you think is the like, most important experience or um, lessons that you bring as a former, you know, Olympian, elite level athlete to now in your role in caring for athletes as patients? Yeah, you know, I think you cannot deny, um, you know, personal experience. So as a, a former athlete that has been injured and not only one that has been injured, but one that has been injured across all levels of sports. So from high school to college to elite, I think, you know, you have the ability to relate to your patients from, from all different levels. And I think that's very unique because people, you know, credibility matters, especially with athletes, youth athletes. They wanna know that you've been through this or you, you understand what they're, what they're going through. And I think at, while I've been through what they're, what they're going through right now, what I can also bring or help them see is that, you know, there's life beyond that. And, even though you're injured right now, it doesn't mean you, you can't be successful, you know, down the line or in a few months or so. I just think perspective and credibility is what you can bring as a former athlete that's now taking care of athletes. Yeah, I'm sure they're intimidated by the fact that you can say, well, I was in the Olympics and I've had all these injuries, so I'm sure you'll get better from this. Um, that's <laughs> well, I hope it's not, I, they're not intimidated. I want them to be encouraged. <laughs> Um, stop wearing all your medals at during clinic. That's that's unfair. Um, Someone told me I had to bring them. Yeah, go for it. And be careful. Nerev might steal them, though. He always wanted one. 
Um, that's about all the time we have. Um, so thank you very much for being a part of this and we look forward to talking to you more. All right, thank you guys for having me. Thank you for listening to the University of California, San Francisco Sports Medicine Podcast featuring Dr. Nero Bundia, Dr. Brian Feely, and Dr. Drew Lansdowne. We look forward to hearing your feedback and hope you look forward to our next episode. Thank you.